I'm John Dauberstein, and welcome to the second edition of our 2016 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, Doing a Better Job Placing Nitrogen and Phosphorus in a No-Till System, is brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to get an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Thanks to Montag Manufacturing, your fertilizing equipment specialist, for sponsoring today's episode. Offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems, as well as auto steer carts, Montag's Precision Fertilizer Placement Solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at www.montagmfg.com or call today at 712-852-4574. There is considerable interest among no-tillers in improving the efficiency of their fertilizer programs, and that has caused them to explore opportunities to split up nitrogen and phosphorus applications throughout the growing season to spoon feed today's high yielding hybrids and varieties. This includes putting more nitrogen, phosphorus, and micronutrients down with the planter, side dressing, strip tilling, and late season applications to improve yields. In addition to yield increases, another reason farmers are considering split fertilizer applications is pressure from the public and regulators to improve fertility management and help safeguard watersheds. In this episode, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing, you'll hear John Fulton, Ag Engineer for Ohio State University Extension, discuss the opportunities for timing and placement of nitrogen and phosphorus, and how new technology can help enhance delivery. Fulton will also discuss environmental risks, agronomic response, and application field capacity, as well as tips to consider for success. I'm going to primarily talk about placement and timing. Uh, we don't have this all figured out. You know, nitrogen is a, is a tough thing to, you know, it's a year by year, field by field, week by week in some cases, as we found out this year. And so, but I do want to kind of consider that we are in this uh, change of public opinion about how we are better stewards of the land. And, you know, we're facing that in the state of Ohio. We know what's going on in Iowa. And we know those discussions are going on in many states around that topic. And so the way I look at it is, is we do need a big toolbox. And I think as we look forward, especially within the no-till systems, we've got to bring more of that P&N application in season. So that's what I'm going to focus on tonight. So this is what we have to work with today just in general. Um, we know broadcast has been used. Um, you know, but in, from a best management practice today, especially where we see nutrient stratification, that kind of kind of puts a little bit of risk on a no-till system because in some areas, a lot of the talk is if you apply it, you got to work it in. And so we don't want to do that, but I don't see the idea behind broadcast ever leaving us. I think that's something that we're just going to have to have in certain conditions and we'll continue to see out there. But broadcast is, is one opportunity. I'm going to talk a little bit about starter fertilizer. 
I think we're kind of transitioning from thinking about that from an agronomic perspective to a stewardship perspective. In the state of Ohio this year, we saw a lot more use of starter fertilizer, but I think that just the opportunity to place nitrogen and phosphorus at the time of planting subsurface is a stewardship means, basically where we're seeing some of the, the stratification. There's three things about starter fertilizer, and I don't have all my data set to, to show you everything. There's three aspects. You can basically do a pop-up, which is just an inferral delivery. We can do a two-by-two two or what it's up there called starter. The new thing that, that we're exploring and we see some benefit to is what we call a relay. It's a little bit of pop-up plus two-by-two. Two. You think agronomically, you at least get, you got something there for the seed to take advantage of. I've told you our best results this year, we're put, putting about uh, 10 pounds of nitrogen and a little bit of phosphorus in furrow. Um, on the two-by-two two side, uh, we were throwing anything from a 10 to, to 25 gallons out, primary 28. I'll, I'll come in on that. But this relay thing, we saw a lot of benefit to it as we just think about that. You got some there in the furrow, and then you got some that as those roots develop, they've got an intersection point, and then you can come back and use side dress and possibly some late season from that perspective. But relay is showing some real promise. We're getting some data in on that uh, in several states that kind of bring that to the forefront. We got deep band injection. I'm going to call it injection a day, primarily because that's what a lot of the, the, the regulators like to talk about. Um, but the idea primarily, in my opinion, that's for your P and K. Uh, again, within no-till conditions, we're going to have to do a little bit of tillage, but I think there is opportunities in some cases to deep band P and K, and I'll talk about that. There's some other ones listed there. I'm not going to talk about those today, but surface banded uh, incorporated. Again, that's not something I'm proposing today. Uh, and then some dual band. But it, so the first three there I want to kind of walk through today and focus on. But I want to back up because I think we're really at a decision point. Uh, all I'm trying to show here, this is primarily your, your, your nitrogen gauge, uh, gas gauge over there on the right, showing where critical times or critical uptake is in, as it related to corn. What I think what we're trying to do is and think about is, is can we start to move some of that nitrogen application out here in that essentially a V6 all the way up to an R, okay? That's kind of where we're focused at. I know some people have gone beyond R, uh, but I think V10 to V14 has become in the sweet spot in a lot of cases where you see response as I look at research in general. Uh, so over here, I still think, you know, there's some opportunities for some pre-plant um, and maybe fall application of P, but we've got to be cautious, okay, especially in no-till where we see stratification. And I'll come back and talk about where, where these opportunities with starter. I think there's opportunities for some of you in some areas where you have high soil test values and you need a little shot of P that the planter might be the opportunity to place that P under, subsurfacely, reduce the environmental risk, but we can put that all in one shot with the planter. But the query question I have is we know that split application continuously provides a value, provides profit to all of you. But are you willing to move from two applications, let's say an anhydrous and side dress, a planter, side dress, whatever that might look in, and starting to throw in three? We were talking out in the hall prior to this, some people were talking about four or five applications of N. The question is, are, are you willing to taste that risk? How do you build your nitrogen budget around that to really drive yield, but really profitability? Okay? And so I think that's a question for a lot of growers. I think nominally most guys are putting at least two shots of nitrogen on. We know that's a benefit. The question is, are, are you willing to wait in some cases and bring three shots in sometime after V8, V10 to V14 specifically in a lot of cases? So 
that's kind of where I'm at, um, talking from the starter to that late season. I'm going to start at the planner, and we're going to end up at the planner. I thought Steve did a good job of making some comments uh, about biomass residue management, and that's where I'll end up today. But we're going to start at the planner and see what opportunities are out there. But one thing in common is we're seeing a lot of central field planners out there. Okay, I'm going to talk about what we did this year, some of the experiences we had. But I do, like I said, think that in some cases that growers have the opportunity, especially with high soil pea, to put every, all their pea in where you need a shot of pea uh, and corn in particular on with the planter. This planter right here, we're set up for two things, and I'll show this in a bit. The front tank here is our starter fertilizer, and in the back, and you can barely see it, is our basically our pop-up or two, uh, or a pop-up um, fertilizer in furrow, okay? Again, I'm just proposing this as some idea around in those um, environmentally sensitive watersheds that this is kind of maybe a B BMP that you can show uh, against those, uh, the public essentially. So how do we get that? Okay, and I'm not gonna show anything today about what these options are, but again, pop up, we're putting a little bit right in here, uh, hopefully right in the furrow. Be great to put underneath, but consistently we haven't found a product that, that really gives us an opportunity to put that right underneath the seed, kind of put a little soil there and then put the seed down. We haven't found something consistently to do that, so it's really just something that's being placed in through on some of our setups. Our two by two, and again, I know some of you, or, or there's a lot of people may not just do a two by two, it'd be a two by one or two by zero. There's a lot of different opportunities out there for that. But our, our idea, and, and you're starting to see this in the last two or three years being kind of promoted is this relay, okay, where you're actually doing some pop up by the two by two. For our examples this year, again, uh, front tank here, uh, is our two by two, you see out front here is uh, what we're using to place that with, and then our, our uh, pop-up was in the back tank, and basically that was just a tube back down the back side of the, the firmer, essentially. On our pop-up, we were doing anywhere from about three and a half to three and a half gallons an acre, and depending on what we're doing from an on-farm perspective and what the grower preferred, we'd either use the 1034O with a little bit of zinc, or a, um, it's hard to read from this angle, uh, 616.6 with one unit of Trident in it. That was basically what we had to, to throw out there. On a two by two, anywhere from 15 to 30 gallons an acre. Again, a lot of that's driven by what the, the preferred uh, application rate was with the grower. Uh, some of that was straight 28%. You're seeing quite a bit more of the two by two going out at 28%. But again, we also saw some mixtures and put out some 1034 mixed with 28. Um, the only thing I would say, especially on this pop-up idea, is to really watch rates. You got some salinity issues to consider there. You get your rates too high, and that's going to influence emergence, if not have a little death with the, with that seed emergence. So you got to watch that salinity on the on the pop-up. Um, and our data, again, um, basically uh, that was our delivery. Um, there's some different ideas around this. One thing I'll come back and show you in some of the imagery that we collected, when you start to put all that load on that toolbar, you get a lot of, lot of opportunities, especially in a spring like we had this year, for potential compaction. And we saw anywhere from a 10 to about a 32 bushel uh, issue on those pinch rows in behind the planter, okay? And so that's something to consider in soil conditions. Even under no-till conditions, you can still get these pinch rows occurring. You throw these tanks on there, that's quite a bit more rate to carry besides having two full tanks there of seed uh, out in the field. So just some ideas to, to consider some as you think about. So that kind of brings me to the next thing. We chose to put all of ours on the bar, 
Okay, that's one option. Uh, we got tractor-mounted storage, and we also have towed carts. I saw quite a bit of towed carts. Typically, the carts are going to give you more capacity in terms of more starter that you can carry on board uh, through the field. Um, am I going to go through all these different planter options? You got a couple of uh, good companies here providing those options here that uh, supporting the no-till. Um, but again, I think you got to think about what, uh, what best, what your planter is, if it's built for that planter. Uh, there's several of these products we've had a lot of success with. This year on ours, we were actually using what, what you would actually get with a case planter in terms of delivery system on, on, our, on, uh, <clears throat> on this planter. So this is just something you can basically check and get right on the planter out of the, out of the manufacturer. So with that, so here's just an example of what, what was seen this year. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there was a tremendous amount of yield boost when we throw this relay concept in, but what I will say there um, is that you see definitely we saw a difference in crop development, crop development stage. If you look at the difference between the, the, the one that basically where everything was surface applied to that, even in a relay, you actually saw an extra leaf or two in many cases. So you actually, in most cases, you actually gained a collar or two Okay, again, both of these are uh, selected on the same day, planted the same day, just different delivery mechanisms for, for nitrogen and phosphorus in the case of starter. And so that's just something to consider. The, the, the relay definitely was more advanced, uh, but I'm not going to sit here and say what we saw a tremendous amount of yield advantage to that because each of these uh, plots also received side dress, and in some cases they see, received both a side dress and a late season. So we're adding some extra nitrogen in there. Uh, depending on how the season, and I don't know if I, what I'm showing you here can fully explain some of the year dif yield differences we saw. But definitely there, there's a difference in the growth stage of that corn that was consistent amongst the delivery system out there. I can't say that for, for a fact. We'll rejoin John's presentation, but I want to take a moment and again thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for making this program possible. Montag Manufacturing is your fertilizing equipment specialist, offering dry, liquid, and complete fertilizer systems, as well as auto steer carts. Montag's precision fertilizer placement solutions will reduce your rate, increase your yield, and assist your stewardship goals. Visit them at www.montagmfg.com or call today at 712-852-4574. In addition to at plant application, side dressing corn has, according to various studies, shown a quantifiable benefit. Deep injection of nutrients or strip tilling also has good potential for improving fertilizer use efficiency for growers. Let's get back to the program and listen as Ohio State University Extension Ag Engineer John Fulton discusses equipment options and other considerations key to accomplishing these fertilizer practices successfully. From a side dress perspective, again, I'm just stating what a lot of guys are doing out there, a lot of you are doing today. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of benefit. Conti cons uh, consistently we know a split application with side dress uh, is profitable. 
the idea of putting that uh, nitrogen below the surface during that with a colder uh, reduces runoff and leaching. That's a positive. Again, I look at that as a, a BMP that we can go back and, and show the public that we're doing good stewardship around nutrient management as released to nitrogen. Um, you know that um, you know the most profitable end rate, though I will say in any study that you can see, and you can see some of that is it's just going to vary from field to field, and I'll take that out a year to year. Okay, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on that here in a little bit. But the idea here is, though, that we're getting into split application. Uh, side dress in all of our studies today, whether we're doing late season or not, showed benefit, at least in 2015, in, in what we were doing. Talk a little bit about uh, uh, high clearance. That's what I'm going to talk about here for the probably next 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I think high clearance, we're seeing a lot more of these spreaders available, especially through the retail sector, cooperative sector, we're seeing this high clearance. It does give us the opportunity to come back and do some side dress with things like urea later in the season because we have some clearance there. Um, I would promote that one thing that we have seen in our research that the dual bin delivery, in this case showing uh, phosphorus and uh, potassium in the bins, uh, I can control each one of those better and I can get the machine probably set up a little bit better and be a little bit more uniform on delivery than I would if I blended those products and put them in one. There's some advantages to, to keeping them separated on a, a machine like this. Uh, but if we're just going to go out and through, do our urea, we have the opportunity to do there. We can do that later in the season uh, and use it as a side dress product. Uh, we have seen good yield response. I think that's nothing new. We continue to see good uh, yield response from broadcast P. Uh, but timing is important. I think when we look at some of the Ohio and we think about dissolved reactive phosphorus or DRP there, I think we really need to think about when we're going out and surface applying phosphorus, whether that's fall, spring, and it, as it relates to some of these heavy storms events that we get. With stratification, we know that that, that can run off, okay? And if you get into some of the science, and I, I don't know if I fully understand this, when we get stratification, we get high PPM, P levels at the surface, Okay, they're locked up in that soil that those don't really don't. We're still going to get runoff of DRP or phosphorus in this case, and it doesn't take very much. Kevin King, I think, is talking tomorrow, only takes a pound or two to have a, a significant impact on water quality. Okay, and so what timing is, is very important to consider when we're doing broadcast P. We can do urea mid-season. You see some research that shows that as long as we get some rain events, we get that worked in, that, that there is some benefit to using urea. Um, but again, I think you got to consider if we're going to deliver N or P at the surface and we've got stratification, I, that's just something we got to consider. Uh, we could be adding to the problem, but if we consider some of the rains we've had the last few years, we might be adding to the runoff for sure. Okay, so just some things around that. Uh, but the dual pin definitely can help uh, in the delivering the uniform application of, of P and K based on our research. So strip-till, or what we'll call injection today, that seems to get a lot more um, interest when we use the term injection. Uh, I think there's been, been some positive research done in the last few years that shows profitable benefit of placing P subsurfacely. Okay, a lot of that is anywhere from three, three and a half, up to a five, six inch depth. Okay, it is banded, and I know, I know there's a lot of concern, but again, if we're in a, a situation where we have uh, uh, basically um, stratification, 
this might be the opportunity to at least get some pee down underneath the surface, reduce the potential risk of runoff, okay? The only caveat to it in some cases is that before you jump into doing strip till and you're worried about timing, that just think about field capacity or what we define as field capacity, the acres per hour that this machine can do, okay? In some cases, it won't affect your, your field capacity when you start comparison, but there is a lot of cases that basically by going to strip till, there are some benefits, but you're going to spend a little bit more money because you're out there a little longer, a little bit more fuel usage, um, but field capacity is going to be reduced. So timing, if that's important on your PE management, uh, strip till might be something to just consider. Do the math. Do the cost comparison between them. Okay. I am an advocate of using RTK with this. I know there's a lot of other opportunities with things like SF2 with John Deere RTX. I think they can be good. But if you're going to strip till and come back and actually want to place that seed at the center of that strip till, RTK is going to be the only thing that does that consistently for you. We can all argue, and I'm sure I, I can get examples people have told me about with some of the other differential corrections, but there is a the potential dri uh, the drift, and there's been some research that suggests when you get out on the outer edge of that strip till, with doesn't matter to the crop, you're going to have a, a, a yield reduction. So R RTK in this, in this scenario, to me, you can run it on a strip till tractor um, and then come back and plant right down consistently down the middle of that row, Okay. So that's just my, uh, my two cents on that, but uh, if you want to consistently go out, RTK is a, is a must. There's a third leg to this fertilizer application stool, if you will, and that's mid to late season nitrogen applications in corn. But before we listen in, I'd like to take a minute to talk about the upcoming 2017 National No-Tillage Conference, which will be held in St. Louis January 10th through the 13th. Featuring top experts with worldwide experience, this special 25th anniversary event includes more than 100 money-making sessions and unlimited networking with the best of the no-till community. Register today for a discounted rate of just $319 at www.notillconference.com. Now let's return to the program and listen to John Fulton talk about the potential for mid to late season nitrogen applications to improve corn yields, the equipment available to make these applications, and hear other helpful tips from Fulton for making these applications work in no-till systems. Talking a little bit more, I'm going to spend some time on this, is the mid to late season, okay? And I guess I'm going to advocate today, I've convinced myself, especially this year through several of our projects and then looking at results across the country, especially here in the Midwest, on this idea about late season nitrogen application. I think there's opportunities, there's profitability to be made, um, but there's some considerations uh, with this. I think number one, you got to consider about machine clearance. Not all high clearance sprayers are, are made the same. Um, but a high clearance, if you truly want to get the full benefit of nitrogen application, like I said earlier, a V10 to V14, some people are trying that afterwards, you're really going to need a high clearance machine. That 72 inch plus machine uh, that are out there. But you're going to see a lot of machines uh, on the farm lot 
are available that are only going to be that 52 to 60 inch. That'll work. I'm not going to disagree that it will not work. But in our case, I've had some machines that are 52 inch. I try and go out at a V10 or V11, I get to pulling, pulling stalks, okay, uh, more consistently than I will with a 72 inch machine. Uh, so hybrid selection, stalk strength really has a big thing to do with that. And so you get those machines that are a little bit not as high clearance, you are potentially going to have some issues with trying to do this consistently late season nitrogen application. It may limit you not able to, to get in there some of that late season. So anyways, that's just something to consider. In delivery system, I'll talk about this. I think there's three options. Uh, drop tubes, wide drop, and nitrogen toolbars. Um, and so we'll talk about that here in a second. But then field capacity, I'll make a couple of comments on this. In our case, at least one farm we work with, we were able to take a, a late season, a high clearance machine, and basically equip it to do um, in nitrogen delivery, okay? Um, we made the decision to get rid of the side dress unit and use that high clearance sprayer to do both side dress, okay, the V4 to V6, plus come in at late, late season whenever we were gonna come back in. Somewhere starting at V10, could end up around R, depending on the rain. Uh, but we improved our field capacity at that farm. We went from basically one day, earth, we, we, we doubled our capacity at that farm by using that high clearance machine for two reasons. We had more load that we could carry, gallons uh, on that machine, and secondly, we almost doubled the speed in which we could do that side dress. We were running about a 12 miles an hour during side dress and coming back and essentially doing it a little bit slower than that in the taller corn, about a 10 in our case. Uh, but the idea uh, Daryl wanted me to talk a little bit about is for that farm, we, we went almost three times in some cases what we could do. In one case, it took them three days to do a few of the fields, about 800 acres, and we were in one day, we, could, we covered that 800 acres. That's one example, one example, but going to the high clearance machine and adding a little bit more capacity and the speed of that machine uh, greatly uh, adapted it to some of the timing concerns or considerations around timing. So those are the three things. <clears throat> There's differences here. I want to just be clear on that. Uh, we see a lot of this talked about in the press, and I want to just make the comment today. There is a difference between rescue in and late season in. Okay, I want to talk about late season in, but rescue in is something we've done. That's not an intentional application. That's not something we budgeted for. That's something we came in and basically added onto our nitrogen budget. Whereas late season in is something we're going into the season. Okay, it's part of our budgeting, our application, and we're going to do it. We basically potentially could be intentionally holding back some nitrogen to that late season application. The question I have, um, is, is if you want to do late season, what's your risk level of trying to save some of that nitrogen later in the season, okay? Are you willing to save back 10%? Are you willing to save back 20% and take the, take the risk to apply it late season? Or in some cases, 30 to 35%, okay? I don't have an answer to that. I think the growing season dictates that too much of what we have. I don't know if I'm risky enough to go 25 to 30% uh, at this time, but I will say that I'm willing to do something between 10 to 20% in most of the cases. Now, we're going to continue to research this. We've got a lot of other people in the country researching this. There are no answers today, 
But from a grower perspective, if you're going to do low late season nitrogen application, what is your risk tolerance level to save back some of that nitrogen and bring it back into those later stages? Okay. I do think on the late season, and we proved that at least to myself this year, uh, that there are opportunities to do variable nitrogen. The question is, is how are you not only going to draw the zones in that late season, how are you going to define rates that you're going to deliver within those zones? Okay. There's our optic sensors out there, active crop sensors, Green Seeker uh, is one we've used quite a bit on this. There are value to those, but again, you know, there's a quite a bit of management to make something like the Green Seeker. What we've been doing is basically a, a few shots of remote sense imagery at uh, coming up or dur during the growing season, tracking that field, those fields that we want to do verberate next season or verberate late season, track them, try and get an image prior to that or close to the time we're going to be out there in the field doing that. We base our zones on that. We do some ground truthing to establish rates, and that's how seems like a, a pretty good way of at least getting ourselves into doing some variable rate. For us, we've been doing anything from possibly a, a 10 to 40 to 50 unit application in late season as an example, okay? But again, that's just as some exa uh, um, examples. Late season in this year, okay? Again, I'll speak from a higher perspective. I think late season this year from a profitable perspective was it just a yes, I'm gonna apply, no, I'm not gonna apply in some areas. Had a lot of water, had a lot of rain, especially in May and June. There's just some areas that corn is just not gonna uh, respond, but there's other areas of field that a little bit better drainage that we're gonna respond, and maybe I just wanna throw out another 30, 40 units, and we did see some response from that, and basically save their nitrogen in those areas that we definitely would not see any type of response. So delivery options, okay, these are, um, there could be some other, others out there, but this is what I say. Uh, I have not used the wide drop too much. There's a lot of interest around the wide drop, uh, but we've done drip tubes. Uh, drip tubes, if you have not tried it late season, you have a high clearance sprayer, it's a cheap and simple way to get into this, to evaluate it on your farm. That's how we started uh, probably six years ago when we started to play around with this. Um, but, you know, the, the thing about that is, though it's cheap and simple, I personally think that you're going to move to something like a Y-drop or a nitrogen toolbar. There's a couple things to that. Number one, you're putting your nitrogen out there between the row, in this case 30-inch rows. And if it lays there too long, okay, if you got a a four, five, six, seven day period, and it's just laying there, you may not get any rain, soil moisture's just not getting it worked in, there's just too much risk to volatilize on that. But I do think it's a great way to start, it's a cheap way to, to evaluate this. All I'm saying is that, that it can lay, and we've seen some, some issues in some of our studies that basically we lost that nitrogen just because it laid too, much on, too long on the top, out in the middle of that row, it just never got utilized effectively. Wide drops, and I'll show a picture of that on the next thing, uh, next slide. You know, we're basically placing that on the surface, but it's getting right next to the row. Okay, a lot of interest. Uh, from a cost perspective, and again, these are just kind of retail costs. I can put, equip a 60-foot sprayer with about $16,500. That's without insulation cost. Um, and so that's about what it's going to cost you to get in on a 60-foot um, sprayer to, to do wide drops. Again, we're putting that closer to the, to the corn. There's a lot more opportunity for that to be utilized. 
Uh, but again, it's going on the surface. Nitrogen toolbar, basically there's two of them that are out there. Miller, who's been purchased by CNH or the New Holland brand, is basically providing that. That's very similar to if you have not have been around it, basically has a colder with an injection system on it, just like any side dress unit or most side dress units out there. Uh, the idea is, though, it's got a high clearance bar that, that gets you out there. Um, what we saw, especially in our research, uh, this really reduced the res risk of, of leaching and, in particular, emissions. has a great reduction of emissions, especially late season, because it's a little bit hotter normally when that time we're putting it out there, and that was just us. Uh, to get into that, okay, first of all, you're going to have to have the right sprayer, not only a Miller or a Hagee uh, are the two companies carrying that, but you're going to have to make sure that model number can hook up to that specific bar as well. Uh, new, a bar will cost you anywhere from about 38000 to 45000 A lot of that depends on width, what you want. Uh, you can get them used. There's some of the nitrogen toolbars you can look, look around and get those used. And somewhere between twenty and 25000 will put you in having a nitrogen toolbar. <clears throat> there's, uh, there's the Miller as an example. Uh, in the background, uh, between them and Hagee, you're anywhere from 26 to 60 foot. Okay, I have not run a 60-foot. I've run a 40-foot. Um, it is a little bit different. They fold a little bit different, especially on a Hagee. you got it to come out front. Uh, but in the field, you, you greatly have the opportunity to, to, to run quite a bit faster. Uh, you're injecting that nitrogen as long as it's set up properly and you're getting a subsurface. Again, uh, lowering the risk of, of volatilization. Excuse me. The wide drop on the left... Uh, we'll be running quite a bit of that this year. I think, again, that's an opportunity if you've got a high clearance uh, to get into this and consider it. Um, so we'll see how that works out. And, and there seems to be a lot of promise just looking at some of the data that's been being presented here this winter at different, different meetings. The question is, is, this is just based on our data, our most profitable means of delivering nitrogen in 2015 in, in central Ohio based on our research was laying some planter, uh, basically the relay I suggested earlier by a side dress and doing a late season shot, about 40 pounds uh, in this case. And so we were putting uh, anywhere from uh, around 40 pounds, 40 units out with the planter, uh, in some cases 10 units, uh, side dress, really depending on the, the location, but the majority of that was going out at side dress. We did see some advantages to, to anhydrous, spring, spring applied anhydrous plus planter plus side dress in some late season. There was some profitability to be gained in that, at least in our research. Um, my consideration for you all today is, I think, as we think about some of the environmental issues that we're working with, uh, I think a good starter package followed by a solid side dress application of nitrogen, followed by a late season shot of nitrogen. And in some years, you might not be putting that late season out. Okay, it really will be dependent on the year. But I think that's the package that, at least from a corn grower, um, based on some of our early data, is going to be the most profitable for you over time. Another point Fulton makes about efficient, effective fertilizer placement is the ability to use precision mapping of fields to write prescriptions for variable rate fertilizer applications. 
which can potentially help no-tillers optimize yields without wasting money or harming the environment. Fulton will wrap up this no-till farmer podcast by discussing the technology and assistance no-tillers should have in place to make variable rate applications successful. He'll also share some important advice about the proper uses of yield maps in working out fertility plans. You know, if we're going to go from this to variable rate, not only do you need to have the right technology and data in place, I think there's some things around consultants that need to be in, uh, plugged into this. I think you have to have experience with data management to make variable rates, basically this nitrogen thing work out for you. Uh, that seems to be the consistent way that we've seen in our research when we got a lot of people on the team making it happen, got a lot of ideas to bounce off each other. We can take some of this, this type of technology and make variable rate. The one thing I would say, there might be some considerations about how do I achieve some of those rates when I do variable rate, okay? If I use a fixed orifice, which is basically there in the orange, that's just an O3 nozzle, um, there are some opportunities to get me a little bit larger range out there, okay? And so these are the kinds of things you gotta think about. I was t talking about some some rates per se, but what, what are you trying to accomplish with your variable rate program? Are you trying to go from 10 gallons all the way to 45 gallons? Which in some cases I've seen people try that. You can't do that with a fixed orifice very effectively. Okay, and, and meet the, the challenges of those rates out there. So in general, and I just wanted to comment on this day, just because I'm getting a lot of questions from a yield map perspective, I think that's a solid way to evaluate your precision ag program. Three things and I'll leave you on today, that I think that you need to think about. They're great for identifying management zones, especially if you have multi-year yield data and you begin to see some consistency. So they can really define some of your placement opportunities from a zone. Yield maps are great for P&K. And again, I'm pulling this from our literature beyond just our experiences, but P&K can provide, um, based on removal, is something I think that people should consider uh, to improve their P&K management on a, on a spatial aspect. So that's really this in conjunction with soil sampling, sound soil sampling, whether that's grid or zone, with yield maps really, I think, is, is kind of becoming a best management practice. But one thing I would say, if you're going to use yield maps to define rates, I, I encourage all of you to cautiously use that. I think, again, going back from year to year, it's a, almost in some cases a week to week what some of the decisions we might make around nitrogen and when we're trying to apply it, especially on a variable rate. The yield maps may be good to kind of begin to explore zones, but to, to, to define nitrogen rates, I just would be cautious, cautiously use yield maps. Thank you to John Fulton for sharing his university's research and experiences with the important topic of doing a better job placing nitrogen, phosphorus, and other nutrients in no-till systems, and the potential for splitting these applications up and spoon-feeding crops to optimize yields and protect our watersheds. 
For those listeners who would like to hear more than a dozen tips from no-tillers about how they utilize fertilizer more efficiently and responsibly on their farm, please visit notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. While we're on the topic of nutrient management, this is a good time to mention that we're also accepting nominations for the ninth annual Class of Responsible Nutrient Management Practitioners, who will be honored at the 25th Annual National No-Tillage Conference, which will be held in St. Louis on January 10th through the 13th. If you know a no-tiller who has an environmentally, economically, and practically responsible approach to fertility, visit rnmf.org to submit an application. Self-nominations are also accepted. The deadline to submit a nomination is October 31st, 2016. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at jdoberstein at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2430. Once again, if you haven't done so already, You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletters. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer, with farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R, and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Ohio State University Extension Ag Engineer John Fulton, Responsible Nutrient Management Practitioners Program, Montag Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at Notes Farmer, I'm John Dauberstein. Thanks for listening.